Hello, my friends. This is life coach Mike Chargman, and welcome to an episode of Mike's Search for Meaning. I'm after some big questions. Why are we here? What makes a fulfilling life? How can we grow individually and collectively? Each episode, I'll dive deep with leaders who are doing great work in the world and see how they organize their life. Books read, value systems, resources used, and stories that show how each of you can create the life and the world of your dreams. Thank you for returning to another episode of Mike's Search for Meaning. By popular demand, I am back with yet another solo episode. In this episode, I fielded a couple of questions and I discussed things like what the most important lessons I've learned from podcasting are, what self-compassion is and what self-compassion isn't. And I specifically talk about fierce self-compassion, why I want to fall in love with doing the dishes. And you'll have to listen to the episode to find out why I put that odd little phrase in here. And I talk about my relationship with my phone, with technology. I talk a lot about boundaries and why they have been historically really hard for me. And there's other depths that this talk goes into. So I I really hope that you enjoy. I've personally been really enjoying doing the solo episodes, and I definitely plan to do several more this year. And without further ado, take a deep breath. and enjoy this solo episode with yours truly, Mike Trugman. Hey friends, welcome back to another solo episode of Mike's Search for Meaning. The first one was so much fun and it was a pretty resounding success. A lot of you tuned into the solo episode, a lot of you reached out and I really appreciate the feedback and the nudges to continue doing these. So. I'm going to make this a regular practice and I got several really good questions. I hope that I can get to all of them. If I don't get to all of them, then I will of course address them in the next solo episode and let's get right into it. The first question that I got is from my dearest and best friend. He wrote, you've had so many awesome podcast guests understanding we are all influenced in subtle and not so subtle ways by everyone we interact with. Is there any piece of advice or learning moment from a guest that impacted the way you live your life? If there are multiple, which one stands out the most? I will share, I think maybe what my biggest overall insight has been. And then I, there's just been too many lessons. So I'm going to unpack many others, but I think the number one lesson that I've internalized from interviewing people in all sorts of different healing spaces, people that have been influenced by different modalities from all over the planet. I've had the wonderful privilege of interviewing people from all over the world. And it could be on the subject matters of nutrition. It can be about therapy. It can be about creating a business, entrepreneurship, everything in the world, sexuality, everything in the world, seems to lead back to self-compassion as the foundation for healing. If we don't have the capacity to truly love ourselves as we are, then it's really hard to face outward to the world and to challenges and to all the circumstances of our life and meet it with a level of kindness. So for a very specific example, 
I was, I'll keep this anonymous, but I was just talking to someone the other day about how tough a time that they were having in their career. And they started to run through the checklist of different things that happened in their life. And they started to run through the checklist of things that they have in their life. They said, I make really good money. I have amazing relationships. I've gone on all these amazing trips. I, they started listing all the different material aspects of their life. And, and friendships and relationships aren't material, but they were all a way of trying to comfort themselves from an external and I invited them into, you know, all of those things are a little bit fragile. We we don't necessarily have our home or our job or we want to have all those things. Those are really nice things to be grateful for. But if you really get in contact with your own, like really drop inwards and take a few breaths and connect to your heartbeat, you always have you. You can always be gentle and compassionate to yourself. And no matter how haywire circumstances are going in your life, that to me has been the most healing practice is being really gentle with myself. In the first episode or the first solo episode that I did, I, I named that I had multiple interviews where I didn't feel like I was my best and the shame spiral that took me on. And what got me out of that loop wasn't that I had an amazing home and that I make a lot of money and, and, and it was that I was able to be there with myself in that pain. Like, yes, Mike, that was really hard. I get it. It's tough to go through an interview that you were excited for and feel like you didn't show up at, as your best. And that's okay. I still love you, Mike. You're doing your best. That is a way more healing stance in my own personal estimation than trying to rattle off a bunch of different things you have in your life. So in many different conversations, that has been the big realization for me is that self-compassion is really the foundation to, to build upon, to have a healing relationship with yourself and therefore uh, a healing relationship with all of the other people in your life and with the world. I highly recommend checking out, and I'll link to this in the show notes, Kristen Neff's work on self-compassion. She she talks about fierce self-compassion as well, and that it can sound like this really dewy, soft, like complacent type of practice, but it's really not. It's it's actually a pretty ferocious, like she implies, uh, practice at times where if if I am suffering. And I can really be with myself in that suffering. That is not a standing off to the side, complacent, letting life happen to me practice. That it takes a, some level of fortitude and strength to say, yeah, I am fucking suffering right now. I am really in a lot of pain and I'm here with you and I love you through it. And I know that this is going to pass and Conversely, there's going to be moments where I feel immense amounts of joy and excitement and a giddy energy, and I can be with myself in that too. So those practices help me just experience life more fully. It's it's really the essence of being alive is to be present for all of the things, whether they are painful, joyous, 
sad, if I'm experiencing despair, if I can really be with myself in all of those moments, my capacity for all of life continues to expand. That's probably been the number one lesson that I've internalized. I think maybe, and I started to talk a little bit about this in my answer, but the second most important lesson that I've learned, and this, it might sound too simple to be true, is that life is really just a series of moments over and over and over again. And every moment is an opportunity to practice whatever it is that feels most important to you. So I have a definitely a way in which I want to swing for the fences. And I really do have big visions. And I allow myself to have these big visions that I want my podcast to reach millions of people. And I want to be known. And I want to have an impact. And those are all beautiful things. And I, I want to interview Brene Brown, etc. But those are not things that I can practice in each moment. And so if I look at that big vision and drill it all the way down to what's something that I can practice in this very moment, a lot of times it comes for me or what comes up for me is that I just want to bring my heart into as many moments as possible. That also includes, by the way, moments where I am really bored and doing mundane and monotonous things, such as being in a spreadsheet in accounting. There are definitely ways in which I am trying my best to have highs all the time. And a really beautiful practice is being with the discomfort of being bored in that mundane moment, because underneath the boredom is usually... There's a fear of some kind. There's maybe a fear that my life is not meaningful if I'm only doing these little mundane spreadsheets. And if I can be with the boredom, and this might sound a little abstract, so I'll, I'll try and bring in more specific examples. But if I can be with the boredom in a way that I'm not running from it and be really present to that, then I am more present for all of the other moments in my life. A really practical example that I focus on a lot, and to be quite frank, I very frequently fail, so it's it's continuous practice, is when I am doing the dishes after dinner, I want to be as present as possible for when I'm doing the dishes. Because I think it was Thich Nhat Hanh, and I'll link to him in the show notes, who said, if you cannot be present and content while you're doing your dishes, you will not be present and content when you are on vacation and on the beach. That's that's not exactly the quote that he said, but that's how I uh, interpret what, what the quote is that he said. So I really try and focus on being present for doing the dishes. One of my conditioned tendencies would be to immediately think about what I'm going to have for dessert after and what is my to-do list for the next day and what show am I going to watch? And there's a, there's a number of different worries I might have. And when I'm at my absolute best, I can really be with the beauty of doing the dishes. And it's a really powerful skill to build. It, it allows me to feel gratitude for the meal that I just ate. It allows me to feel gratitude that I'm able to keep my house in some sort of order and when I'm not skipping through each moment of life, I'm just more available to celebrate whatever the moment is bringing to me. So it it never, it really, 
I don't know if I want to say never, but it very rarely does me any good to try and envision a future moment as an avoidance of what I'm experiencing in the current moment. And lots of different interviews that I've conducted have pointed to life is just about creating practices that help you live in each moment as much as possible. It sounds really simple and it is really simple and it's really fucking hard. So that's something that I uh, look at in my life very closely. Another thing is the integration of many different things. And for as an example, a meditation practice doesn't just exist in the 15 minutes that I meditate in the morning. It helps me develop awareness of what I'm experiencing in those 15 minutes so that as my day and my life unfolds, I'm able to be more present in each of those moments. So I think I've looked at uh, a lot of these conversations have helped me integrate that these things aren't something that we just download into our system and then just learn forever and never have to worry about again. They are constant practices. And uh, I think maybe a, a more sophisticated way to say this is that Life is not this linear march forward, onward and upward that we think. It's usually pretty cyclical. And a lot of times things that I think that I've graduated from that maybe shouldn't be triggering me, which is a very dangerous word, as, as you probably know, if you've listened to me for a long enough time. But if I I'm experiencing something that is triggering me. And I thought, man, I've done a lot of healing work around this already. It's an invitation to keep practicing being present to that. And it circles back to self-compassion again. And all these things are really linked together. But I think my, my original point was that a lot of, I, I used to live a pretty fragmented and segmented life. I, I would do the meditation in the morning. I would do my exercise. And then the rest of the day, all of my bad habits would just pick immediately back up again. And I look at meditation as something that I can bring into and practice into every single moment of my life. There's an awareness that I can bring into each and every moment. And the body and my body is a beautiful way to be more present because our mind doesn't want to be present. Our mind wants to think, ruminate about the past and plan for the future, but our body is always right here experiencing the moment. So that's been maybe a, a third thing that I've learned from almost every single one of my guests is that they integrate the their body in some way so that when their mind inevitably starts ruminating about a million things, we can get centered back to feeling our feet on the ground, feeling our butt on the chair, our back on the chair, feeling the temperature of the room. Even as I say this, it really orients me into the present moment and, and not thinking so much about things that are frankly just out of my control. So that's really, I think that that's where I want to leave this question for now. I lied, actually. There's there's another lesson that I think is really important. And I this isn't something that I learned from something spoken to me in an interview, but it's something that I've learned observationally from conducting many interviews. I look up to and hold in high esteem 
so many of every, every single person that I've interviewed. And, and in some ways, I, when I look up to them, I think that they are better than me, that they are more evolved than me, that they are more fill in the blank than me. And one of the things that I've learned, which is incredibly humanizing and heart opening for me is just how fallible we all are, just how every single person that we look up to, we all struggle with the same things. We, we all want to be seen. We all want to matter. We all want to be heard. And we're all very fragile when those needs are not being met. I personally can really swing into nasty habits if I am not taking care of my body and dialed into my nutrition, meditating, connecting with friends. I really quickly regress into nasty habits. And that seems to be the case for a lot of the people that I've interviewed too. And even when things seem to, you know, when you're taking care of all the things that are in your control, all of us get reactive and triggered by things all the time. And it's instead of making that a bad thing, we can look at it as an opportunity to learn and an opportunity to grow. And yeah, I think that that's a lesson that as I continue to talk to more and more people that I hold in the highest of regards that I think, you know, they are the most enlightened person that I've ever met. They also struggle with some of the same things that I do. And we, we never graduate from the journey of being a fallible human. So that I, I think that that's something that can be incredibly liberating to be in contact with that every single person that's alive on this planet suffers to some extent. And every person has the capacity for immense joy and immense aliveness and immense fulfillment. So yeah, that's a, it's a really heartwarming thing to say. It's actually, as a matter of fact, it's a really big red flag for me. If someone presents as someone who figured life out or doesn't have any struggles. So that's, that's something that I actually consider a red flag. Now, one of the things I admire most about someone like Brene Brown is that she shows up fully in every conversation she has just here is my shit here are the challenges that I'm facing. And even though I'm a shame and vulnerability researcher, the shit's really fucking hard. And <laughs> I find that that's true for, for almost everyone in the world. So thank you for that question. It's a beautiful question. I love reflecting on all the different lessons I've learned. There are many more that I maybe can reflect on in future episodes, but I want to get to some other questions as well. The next question I think is a really important one, given the times that we're in right now and, and how much impact social media has on all of us. So the question that I received is, what is your relationship like with your phone and with social media? Like everyone else that is tuned into this, it's a challenging relationship. I think that I try and do what I can to manage all the different alerts that I have. So at any given moment, almost all of my alerts are turned off on my phone. I don't get a vibrated I don't get a vibration when I get a text message. I don't get notifications from LinkedIn, email, Instagram, almost anything. I The only notifications that I get on my phone are when I receive a phone call, because if someone's calling me, then I, I want to be notified of that. Otherwise, I'm only going to my phone when I am ready to go to my phone. Now, 
that happens many times a day because my brain is still hardwired to search for that dopamine hit. So in many times throughout the day, I have unclosed loops of, oh, someone might've liked my LinkedIn post. Someone might've liked my Instagram post. Someone might've emailed me. Someone might've reached out to me about being on my podcast, that there's all these different loops that are constantly moving through my head. And so even minimizing all the notifications on my phone, my relationship is such that I still feel pretty dependent on it and that I am unconsciously grabbing my phone more than I would like to. I would say my relationship with social media has really evolved in a way that I am proud of. I don't ever at this point unconsciously scroll through social media. I don't grab it for content at this point. I don't scroll through and and see what other people are posting because frankly, I just find it pretty personally draining. So I only am going on Instagram to search for content if that's something that I'm intentionally doing. I don't really just grab my phone and and then next thing I know, I've been on Instagram for 20 minutes. That I don't want to say never, but it it doesn't really happen to me anymore. What other things can I say about my relationship with my phone? I typically don't look at any notifications for the first or last hour of the day. I believe I said that in the last episode, but I'm pretty good about that. When I wake up in the morning, I do use my phone to do Wim Hof breathing and to do my meditation, but I am not looking at any notifications or anything of like that. And at nighttime, with some exceptions, I'm not as good at night about it. I tend to not look at my phone for the last hour or so of the day. And I've set it up. I I forget exactly how to do this, but you can set up your iPhone so that your notifications and all of the messages that you'd ever get on your phone automatically turn off and you have a do not disturb on your phone starting at a certain time. Mine's at 8.30 p.m. and I'm usually in bed at 9.30 p.m. I think that this question is really a good segue into the next question, and that is, how do you create effective boundaries with your friends, family, and work? The phone is very intimately tied to this question, and I imagine that if you're listening and you hear the way that I don't have text message notifications up or any notifications that you're, you might be thinking to yourself or, or you have a loop in your head, a thought in your head of, but what if this person texts me? Like what I I'm supposed to respond this quickly. And what if my, my work email, if, uh, if, if someone reaches out to me and I don't have the notification, like, am I going to miss something? And I totally get that, but I find that I'm just too zapped to, function well if I don't have those boundaries up in my life. So in terms of how I create effective boundaries in my life, I try and just communicate to people at work, at home, and with my friends and family, I don't have notifications on my phone. I typically will still respond to texts within an hour. It's usually much quicker than that, honestly. And emails, I typically respond to within 24 hours. I also work part-time in accounting, which you probably know, and that has forced me to create really effective boundaries because I'm not available on Thursdays and Fridays to do accounting work in a way that it's forced me to create effective boundaries in 
in my life is that I have two separate careers. And if I'm trying to do too many things at one time, then I am going to just zap the shit out of myself and not be able to show up with any sort of energy or creativity in my life. As far as the challenges that come up with creating effective boundaries, I have had to develop the skill set of navigating conflict more gracefully. Conflict, for many reasons, conflict is something that I have avoided for almost all of my life. I do not do conflict well, or at least historically haven't done conflict well. And that has led to me trying to be a perfectionist. It has led to me trying to answer things as quickly as possible, to not making any mistakes, to doing everything in my power to control another person's reaction. And that has, in a way, been a spiritual practice for me of letting go and, and just saying, you're doing, you have to do what's best for you, Mike. Whatever reaction that incites in another person is not in your control. All you can do is take care of yourself, be the best version of you as possible. And if and when conflict arises, you have the capacity to handle that conflict. So as an example, there was a moment this past summer where I was really busy on my accounting work and I decided I had to put everything down at 5 p.m. that day. I was exhausted and I just didn't have anything left in the tank to give. That brought up a reaction in one of the people that I work with on the accounting side of things. And in the past, I would have said, okay, I I need to make sure that I just work later. I need to do everything in my power to avoid that reaction. I don't want the partner that I'm working with to be angry. In this moment, I just essentially said I needed to take a break and unplug. And I understand that we have an important deadline that we're going to reach. And I know from years of experience that we are going to reach this deadline. So in a way, it's it's just been me learning how to navigate. It's okay if someone else gets angry, you know, you're it's not a threat to your survival like you've experienced it for most of your life. And uh letting go of the trying to control other people's reactions is as you can imagine, is an incredibly liberating experience that I I don't have to be a certain way because ultimately everyone's gonna react the way they're gonna react anyway, right? So if I'm doing, if I'm living a life from a place of I'm gonna manage my energy and make sure that I'm doing my best work and be my best self possible, I really trust that all the other stuff will take care of itself. That, of course, sounds really great and flowery as I'm describing it now, but all of those old tendencies surface all the time. That if I make a mistake and someone gets angry, I try and smother that mistake and, you know, so they try and fix it. And sometimes I try and avoid saying that there was a mistake in the first place and go into cover up mode. And all of these are just invitations for me to it comes back to self-compassion. It's to make contact with the parts of me that get activated and get a little bit scared and a little bit reactive. And it's okay, Mike, I, I know it's it's scary for you when other people are angry and are, are yelling and shouting and that you're experiencing chaos. I know that's hard and we can handle this. We really can. And over time, I'm developing more and more of a skill set to navigate these challenges in my life. So I think that it starts with just, I guess maybe another piece that 
I, I didn't name is that this would start with self-awareness. And I understand as a highly sensitive person and as an introvert that I, if I don't manage my energy well, then I am going to be in trouble. And I actually don't have any problem communicating that to people at this point. I am sensitive to lighting. I am sensitive to being around people for too long. I am sensitive to sound. There's many different things that I have developed an awareness of in my life that I, it does, it's almost like I don't even have a choice but to create really good boundaries around this because my awareness is such that I know I am on a path to some level of burnout if I am, if I'm not taking care of these things. And what I find and what you might find is that if you really get good at setting boundaries in your life and, and saying no when it's a no and saying yes when it's a yes, people actually will get curious about it and go, oh, I like, I would like to set those boundaries in my life too. So it's it doesn't create as much drama as I anticipated it would having such clean cut boundaries in my life. It, it actually elicits curiosity a lot of times from the other person around, huh? That's really interesting. And conversely, when I see someone who's really living in full integrity and who is living life completely authentically on their terms, it doesn't, I don't look at them and say, oh my God, like who the fuck do you think you are? I, it, it brings up curiosity in me too about how I can live more intentionally and how I can be more authentic in my life. And so my, I guess my invitation to myself and to you is to not look at boundaries as something that is putting up a wall between you and an other, another person that's going to inevitably lead to conflict, but look at it as something that's going to probably create more connection. And it might even elicit curiosity from the other person around how they might more effectively use boundaries in their life. Someone who lashes out at you probably doesn't have good boundaries of their own. And that's that's something that you can't control. So there's the practice of letting go. Next question. How have your friendships and relationships evolved as you have evolved? It's a beautiful question. And there have been times in my journey where I started to question all of my friendships and, and what it means to be friends with other people who maybe aren't intentionally doing the level of depth of work that I am doing. And that has applied in the workplace too, where on the accounting side of things, I imagine there's not as much inner work being done as I am doing there's a way in which I have started to other my friends and my coworkers that that at times has been very isolating for me, that I feel alone, that it's like I don't feel like I could be myself at work and I don't feel like I could be myself with my friends. And that was the case, especially early on in when I started doing more inner work in 2019. And then as COVID hit in 2020, I really was questioning like what level of connection is available to me with my current friendships and my current employment status. And I can really gratefully say that as I've continued to evolve and grow, I'm more in touch with, I don't need to be surrounded by people who are also coaches and healers and have done a level of depth of inner work. I fucking love my friendships. It, and I don't look for 
this might go back to me seeking highs all the time and, and what the practice is of, of taking what's available in every moment. I don't need to go into every single conversation looking for an epiphany or talking about the meaning of life. Sometimes the meaning of life is just enjoying a good football game or a basketball game with my friend and, and talking about that because I love sports and there's nothing, I used to make that a bad thing that sports aren't meaningful and like, why, why am I paying attention to this? And so as I, as I continue to reflect on what it means to be more evolved, I, I have really close connections with all of my friendships and probably talk less about the meaning of life with them than I would with a lot of my maybe colleagues, peer, peers, mentors, but those are different relationships. A lot of my friendships are lifelong. We would be there for each other through thick and thin. They, my friends show up for everything in my life and we have a really fucking good time together. So I think that as, as I've continued to evolve, one of the first things that happened for me was I started to question everything and it felt like the bottom was falling out from underneath me and that none of my, I was like, are any of my friendships really real? I'm a different person than I was when I was friends with them. And I'm more in touch with in this moment that there's beautiful connection to be had with every single person on this planet, let alone my friends that I really adore and love and have a good time with. And I don't need to, like I said, be having conversations about purpose, about spirituality, about God, about living in my body, about intuition, all these different things that excite me, healing work. Those are beautiful things. I And I get to have lots of conversations about those with my peers and with my colleagues. With my friends, a lot of times it's it's the simpler pleasures of life. And I I don't go into every single encounter now looking for something more than what is. Now, what inevitably happens when I come not come into every encounter not looking for anything is that I'm more available for the surprises to happen anyway, because whether or not we are intentional about it, we're all questioning how much we matter and how much meaning we're getting out of our life and our work. And we might not talk about it, but it's always running in the background anyway. And... I just feel really grateful to be able to say that my friendships and relationships have evolved to the extent that I am now more present for whatever. I don't go into a party thinking I need to, I need to talk about, you know, careers that matter to me or, or else it's a total failure. And then I'm going to question everything, which happened to me many times early on in COVID. And, and even as recently as probably six months ago, that felt like it was more alive for me where now, if I if I don't have uh, an interaction that feels like it was, you know, super connecting or nourishing for me, then that's okay. I go I go back inwards, and when I get home, I journal about it. And there's always wisdom to be gleaned from every single experience that I have. In some ways, it's a practice of falling more in love with the mundane, right? it's okay to talk about the weather and surface level things. And I, I used to make it not okay to talk about those things. The final topic that I want to talk about today, and this wasn't a question that was submitted to me, but it's something that's been really alive for me is 
spirituality. And it's something that uh, spirituality is a topic that I have personally shied away from in talking about. And I love when my guests talk about it. And I want to talk about what spirituality means to me and different ways that I am in touch with my purpose and, and my spirituality, my connection to something bigger than myself. So spirituality, as I define it, is exactly that. It is a connection to something bigger than myself. And whether you call that God, the universe, nature, or even if you think of being part of something bigger than yourself as just your, your nuclear family or an organization that you look up to, I think we all really crave and yearn, yearn for that level of connection to something bigger than us in our life. And these days, I'm most in touch with my spirituality when I drop in and just focus on my heart. So if I close my eyes and breathe and just notice my breath and pay attention to my heartbeat for even just a, a couple of minutes, two to three minutes, and open my eyes from that place, I just feel like I'm in connection with everything that matters most about being alive. I can relish in the simple joy of having a, a cup of coffee or in going outside and just listening to the wind and, and feeling the wind against my skin and looking at the trees and hearing my footsteps. From this place, I feel more creative. I feel more compassionate. I feel more connected. And a lot of times I like to write from this place. So writing from a place of being connected to something bigger than myself, a lot of times does point back to self-compassion. So what is a specific example that happened recently for me? When I was in a coaching session the other day, I was really dropping into there's a lot of things are running on auto, not autopilot, but I have a good rhythm in place. And there's this yearning for taking on the next project or a challenge that will make me feel really alive. And in my coaching session that I had, I dropped in. And what started to emerge for me was I, I could feel this kind of rising energy that started in my gut. And then it, it started to pulse up through my chest. And then there was like a tingling in my fingers and a tingling in my feet. And just being present to that, there's, I just feel that there's something else bigger than me happening. And if I can attune to that, then the wisdom of whatever my body is communicating to me, and again, you can call that God, the universe, spirit, naturally emerges. So I in the coaching session, really just allowed all of that energy to move through me. And what I got in contact with was in my public speaking journey, I have found it incredibly healing to just share my story and be seen vulnerably in front of other people. And at various points in the past couple of years, I've tried to create a course in public speaking. And for varying reasons, they haven't been sustainable. They haven't stuck for me. And for whatever reason, again, lots of different things are intersecting for me. I look at public speaking as healing in itself, that if I continue to show up and there's an exposure therapy approach where 
if I do something that's just on the edge of my comfort zone for repeatedly once a week or something like that over the course of 10 weeks, my comfort zone is going to continue to expand and grow. And there are other healing modalities like internal family systems or Hakomi that are very self-compassion and somatically oriented that help to get in contact with the parts of us that are really scared of public speaking or of being seen. So in an internal family systems example, let's just say that I am set to speak in front of 30 people. There are all sorts of parts of me that are going to show up that are trying to protect me from being seen in front of that many people because it's really scary. So my idea for public speaking right now, and this just emerged in a coaching session, this is tied to spirituality because it felt like it was moving through me and it wasn't egoic Michael that was talking. It was just an energy that I was in touch with. The idea that I had in mind is that if someone is speaking in front of a class of 30 people and we're doing the exposure therapy approach and they're gradually building the skill of being seen in front of an audience and a protector part in internal family systems terms comes up that wants to make sure that you don't fumble your words or make a mistake, we can get in contact with that part in that moment and bring self-compassion. Like, of course you're scared. It's scary to be seen in front of 30 people. So let's just close your eyes and get in contact with that part of you that's scared. What is the part of you that's scared trying to communicate to you? And what happens in a moment like that, hopefully, there, there might be other things that come up, but what, what hopefully happens in a moment like that is you're, the part of you that's scared realizes it doesn't have to work so hard to protect you. It can let its guard down a little bit and there's more energy and creativity that's freed up from that moment. Other somatic oriented coaching modalities, I think can be really helpful for this. And this stuff was just moving through me at lightning speed. And, and when I was done talking, I it was just, I said to my coach, I, I, <laughs> I can't believe how, how this was just started. This clicked for me in such a way that it, it hadn't been in the past. And there was something bigger than me happening in that moment that if I tried to effort my way through and just think about it in egoic mic sense, I just don't think I would have gotten there. So yeah, spirituality and, and trusting that something bigger than me is taking care of me at all times is a really powerful practice in my life. And I think that it gives me strength and endurance in times where I don't feel like I'm enough because that inevitably happens. And when it does happen, I can just, I can go back to that place of, <sighs> you know what, Mike, you're feeling like you're not enough right now, but I, there is something bigger than you that's taking care of you. And that could be my family. And it could also be the universe. It could be God. And more and more, I am really getting in touch with my relationship with that, with spirit, with just trusting that there's something that's taking care of me and that I am taken care of. And if I take chances and risks in my life, that I am going to be just fine. I don't need to plan for every single thing and make sure all of my ducks are in a row. Now, that doesn't mean that I ignore those parts of me that want to have strategy, that want to have my ducks in a row, that want to plan. It's just that when all of that goes to shit and when life flips the tables on me, which inevitably happens, I am able to 
drop back into, I know that this didn't go according to the plan that you had, Mike, and that's okay. You're going to be okay. You're going to be just fine. And in a way, I, I really just trust that life always has a plan for me anyway. And for me to resist that only creates suffering within me. So I, I do love planning. I love strategizing. I My background's in accounting. I'm a huge fan of pragmatics and the spreadsheet and of tracking data and all of that beautiful stuff. And there's times where all of that goes to shit and life has different plans for me. And if I can get in contact with that and not resist it, then it just feels like life is a little bit easier for me. And it's another thing I think about a lot is the question, what would this look like if it were easy? Or what would life look like if I was living it with more ease? It's a beautiful question to sit with. And a lot of times ease rhymes with just letting go and saying, you know, I don't have control of this thing that maybe I wish I had control of. And that's okay. We're going to be okay. Hmm. So I think maybe really vulnerably in the spirit of Mike, I can share that I didn't feel like I was as much at my best in this episode as I was in my other solo episode, but that's okay. We're going to keep doing these over and over and over again because they are fun. And I love answering these thoughtful, intricate questions that you send me. We'll be doing another solo episode very soon. I'll make the same plea that I said in my first solo episode. If you think that this podcast is really good, and I really do believe that this podcast is really fucking good, please take the time to leave a review on both Spotify and Apple Podcasts. On Spotify, if you go to my show, you'll see that there's a certain number of five-star reviews. If you just click there, you can leave a review. There's no space for commentary on Spotify, but it really goes a long way in getting new followership and new listenership if you take the time to do this. So on Spotify, it's just where you see the number of five-star reviews, you click it and then leave your own five-star review without commentary. On Apple, if you go on your phone to the very bottom, you'll see where all the other written reviews are. If you just click the five-star review, or if you think it's a four-star show or three-star, I welcome all of the reviews. I want to, I want you to just take the time and leave the review and, and share what you think of the show. Give me your feedback. But anyway, on Apple, if you scroll all the way to the bottom, you click the five-star review, write the commentary about what you think of the show. It really makes a huge difference for me. Uh, I love hearing your feedback. And I have a vision for reaching more and more people because I think that the content that I'm putting out there really makes a difference. Another way to help the show grow is to share it with people that you think might benefit from this. So take the time to share this out with maybe your Instagram, or if you just text it to a, a couple of friends that you think will get something from listening, that would really mean the world to me. And even if you do none of this, I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. This is such a personally fulfilling thing for me to do, and I'm sending you so much love. Have a good rest of your day or evening and take good care. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to Mike's Search for Meaning. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, share this episode with your friends, and leave a review. I look forward to seeing you next time, my friends. And until then, stay safe, stay well, and keep living with purpose. Peace.